0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Shiro's Club, where we support, uplift, and empower each other. I am Savitri Panchapakesan, and I'm bringing you a story regularly of Shiro's around us so that we may learn and take a cue or two from these seemingly normal and relatable journeys. Thank you for joining me today. In this episode, I have someone who I met at work a few years ago, and we have been good friends since. She's extremely outspoken and has a boatload of anecdotes to share at any time. Gary Catswolf. Gary was born and raised in New York City. She majored in early childhood education, but circumstances led her to become a computer programmer and she has not looked back since. She has worked in the famed Wall Street, Climbed the highest of ladders at a time when being a woman in the workforce was hard to come by, let alone being in top leadership roles. In my mind, she has broken the glass ceiling. It is hard to miss her positive and upbeat presence anywhere, and even harder to miss her witty comments and retorts. I am truly happy to be in her company today and hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as I do. Gary, welcome, and thank you for joining the Shiro's Club today.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: So before we start talking about your journey, Gary, I would like to give a little context to our listeners. Gary's journey starts in New York City in the 1950s, 1960s U.S. During those post-war times, most Americans sought a peaceful and prosperous society by conforming to traditional gender roles where men were the breadwinners of the family and women stayed home. However, discontent was brewing just beneath the surface of the peaceful society as women wished to remain in the workforce. And approximately one third of the workforce was still made of women. R. Gary was born in a family where her grandmothers and mother Worked outside the home, and she grew up in a multi generational setup, which made up about twenty percent of the American families at the time. So, Giri, uh, let us start there in your you know multi generational upbringing with your grandparents around.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, I, I I consider myself very lucky looking back. Uh, while both my grandmothers were working, it was not considered working because they worked for their husbands. My paternal grandmother was a bookkeeper for my grandfather's butcher shop. So that didn't count. My other grandmother uh, co-owned a nightclub with my maternal grandfather. So that didn't count either. Um, Women have always worked in the workforce. It's just that I don't feel that their contributions been understood as much. Uh, My my mother, who married very, very young and had three children in a row, did not work outside the home until after my youngest brother uh, started attending school. And I I think that... um, i just every child grows up thinking their reality is the reality uh, prince charles was once asked how was it growing up in a in a castle and he said he just thought everybody grew up like that so it, it took me a little while to realize that my reality was not the reality for everyone in the world and as i've been thinking look, recently i turned 68 And in watching TV, I feel like I'm watching the same programs I watched in 1968, which opened my eyes to not only civil unrest, but the treatment of some elements of our society, which I found abhorrent.
0: Thank you. Yes. We still have a long way to go. So how was it, you know, seeing your grandmother and mother work? You must have uh, been heavily influenced as a young girl that those would have been very good role models for you uh,
1: you know as i said i assumed that was everyone's reality it became very surprising to me when i would go to friends homes and see that their mother's were not working outside the home, although I was in a white middle-class neighborhood where women were involved in in uh, the PTA, the Parent Teachers Association, or they were involved in their churches and temples. So although women didn't necessarily earn money outside the home, I was used to seeing women uh, being active. What I found very strange is that fathers were, a little bit different in other households. My father was a very active parent. He, he fed us, he diapered You know, my brothers, I guess he diapered me too. But um, then I would go to a friend's house and a father would get up from the table and leave his plates and I would just shake my head because that was not my reality.
0: Indeed. So when you were such a young girl, there was a certain um, book that your grandmother gifted, you said that left a um, you know, remarkable imprint in your mind. Would you please tell us about that book?
1: Yes, thank you for asking about that. Um... Although I I later in life enjoyed reading as a child, I would rather watch television than read a book, and uh, my grandmother gave me a book for my birthday, and I was disappointed because it wasn't clothes or cash, but I I sat down and read the book, and what it was was uh, short biographies of women in history, and it was the women we had heard about at the time, like Helen Keller or Eleanor Roosevelt, but it also appeared included other women that i had never heard of like the first woman doctor in the united states and it opened my eyes to the fact that women were not in certain positions uh when i watch tv today i'm i'm so heartened by the fact that half of the news commentators and half of the experts that are called to comment on things are women where when growing up white males were all I saw on television discussing um, uh, politics or science or anything else. So that was very eye-opening for me.
0: Do you remember any other women that stood out from that book for you?
1: Um, I don't because, you know, as you get older, things get jumbled. But um, what what I found very interesting is in the... 70s, when I was a teenager and going to college, I was involved with the feminist movement. We had read books by Betty Friedan, and uh, I I really suggest everybody read her. Simone, uh, I'm pronouncing her name wrong, Uh, but what I found was that I would come home, and my mother belonged to a to a charitable organization that used to meet for luncheons and because the women were now working outside the home, the majority of them were teachers or bookkeepers or or even accountants they were meeting at my mother's home at night and I would go upstairs and I would hear conversations like, "Well, I told my husband that the you know dinners in the refrigerator just warm it and and I was listening to them having trouble with the fact that their husband's thought they should be home at night uh, taking care of them and and how they were maneuvering and managing the changing roles, uh, the changing sex role stereotypes in, in their life. So that had an impression on me because I was having the same conversations with the guys I was dating. At the time we were asked stupid questions like, well, is it okay for a woman to earn more than her husband? <laughs> and And these were real serious issues that we had to tangle with
0: right, and you know if if you think about it, I think men were under some kind of societal pressure to conform to certain types of you know employment roles too, because there would have been men that wanted to be nurses or some that wanted to stay home to raise families, but they had to conform to these roles where they were the sole breadwinners and so on, so I guess. Um, you know, you had a good example in your father who uh, shared the workload at home.
1: Yes, but, you know, all things being equal, if I think my parents started out now, um, my mother would have gone to law school and she would have been a Supreme Court judge and my father might have stayed home and taken care of us. I don't know if we would have wound up any less messed up because, you know, you need to have something to discuss with your shrink when you get older.
0: (laughs) Interesting. So you um, started out this way and then you went into college and you pursued um, childhood, early childhood education. I I was in
1: college in the uh, early 70s, which was a very politically active time. Um, we, We were organizing around a number of different issues some of which was the war in vietnam i was involved in the movement not because i was against war but i was against using american boys as fodder we really had no plan uh, to to win that endeavor but it was out of those groups that i met women that i got involved with with the women's movement um i was at buffalo university at the time and Planned Parenthood came to the university and said, we only have the resources to handle the community in Buffalo. And there were so many women from downstate New York City that were using their resources. They helped us set up a birth control pregnancy counseling clinic at Buffalo University. And I was very involved in that. And one of the things that I had to learn was how to take my own preconceived notions and prejudices and and park them somewhere else. As a for instance, if a young girl came in and she was pregnant and she didn't know what to do, in my head I was saying, you really should consider aborting this and going on with your life, but I was trained and I would sit and give them all their different options and, and help them understand that if they did want the pregnancy to go to term, what things we could do to help them. And and I think that um, that type of a background in, informed how I try to approach things at work is to not take my immediate knee jerk preconceived notion and use that as a starting point, but maybe think about things the way other people may be processing them.
0: And that is a good lesson for us all to to sometimes just hold off on your knee jerk reactions and do the best even if that comes with some you know learning that you have to do
1: but having said that i have to admit that my early years in business i was like a bull in a china shop i was an outspoken radical feminist if anybody said anything that i found uh, appalling i i just you know, I I didn't really counsel myself to be appropriate in certain settings. I I said what I I needed to say at the time if I felt that uh, something that was being said was sexist or racist.
0: I can totally relate to that. I've seen you do that, and so you did that to your father too when he uh, passed a comment on a female athlete, right?
1: Yes, my I, I grew up in a, a very liberal household, uh, and my elementary school was integrated when I was in 3rd grade and it caused great consternation in the neighborhood. There were some people that were totally opposed to integration. My parents being very liberal thought that was ridiculous. So I grew up in an integrated school with very liberal parents and my dad would watch tv and and women athletes although they're still not paid uh comparable to male athletes were just beginning to be covered in in the news and there was a woman Billie jean king who was a really good tennis player who was going to play against a male bobby riggs now he was considerably older but there was everybody was sure that um he he was going to win of course she won and um at the time when we would watch a game and we would watch an athletic event my father would make comments about female athletes that i found horrible and i once said to him you wouldn't say this about a black athlete why do you wear your sexism on your sleeve like it's a badge of honor and i think that was Cold water on him uh, that, that he, he was realizing what I was saying. Um, also, you know, my mother and I were both very active in the women's movement. So he was getting it not only from her, but from me as well.
0: Right. So this just goes to show how some of those uh, thinking may be, you know, deep rooted. And we all need to stand up when we find such instances, even though, you know, we've all come a long way from them we still have a you know longer journey to go
1: and and you know even even though it was a very liberal egalitarian household my parents still grew up with certain sex role stereotypes and i remember my mother was primarily the one who cooked dinner and did the dishes afterward. And when she started working outside the home, she said my father had to do the dishes. Prior to that, I always jokingly say, my father wanted his peas and carrots on separate plates. When he was doing the dishes, he didn't understand why everybody can't just eat out of the communal pot. But um, that is a joke and, and my father, uh, you know, made dinner and cooked and shopped and and did all the things that anybody in in a, in a relationship should be doing. I will say, at the time growing up in the sixties and seventies, that was really the exception, not the norm.
0: Right, and it must have not been easy for your parents too. You know, it would have taken a lot of hard work to figure out, you know, what each person needs to contribute, what the family's needs were, and to contribute towards that
1: yes but i will say my mother was a very very tough cookie there was really no um well you did negotiate with her but she was very tough i have one funny story where i was in high school and i was an extra honor english and extra honor social studies and i had failed spanish and they wanted to pull me out of the extra honors class and i went in and i said to them i'm still with the failure maintaining an 85 degree 85 um point average why would you take me out of the classes i'm doing well in including math and science you know to punish me for first spanish and they said so, well that's the rule and i said you know i think i'll bring my mother in and, and she could discuss it with you and they said after thinking about it for a while uh, you know what maybe we'll leave you in the extra honor classes. So my, my mother had a reputation. She was not only a school teacher, but she was the union rep for her school. So she was known by uh, most of the teachers in Queens, which is not a small town.
0: That's a nice story. Thank you for sharing that. And during the times you went to college, uh, was there anything remarkably different than it is today?
1: A couple of things were remarkably different. I went to City College, which really cost virtually nothing. And even though my parents were both working in middle class, they had three children, a mortgage, one car, and uh, money was tight. But uh when I went to school, there was no question about uh the ability to pay tuition or the ability to pay for books. I did transfer to a state school, which was considerably more expensive, but it was like fifteen hundred dollars for the semester, which when you think of it now, that's really quite a bargain. So I didn't have the same um, pressure to to do in my classes what i think people do now i i enjoyed college i had fun i started i stopped i went to queen's college buffalo university tel aviv university and then at some point decided yes i needed to get a degree in something
0: how was uh, how many you know what was the ratio of men to women in colleges back then
1: um when I went to school, I would say it was if it was probably 50-50 or it was like 48-52, um, you know. But by the time I was in school in the 70s, women went to college. The joke was you went to college to get your MRS degree, but there was still plenty of women in colleges. Which reminds me of another story I know I've told you. I had a professor in school that called everybody Mr. and Miss. And he called on me and I said, it's Ms. And it was just the very beginning. Ms. Magazine had just come out. People were not used to that honorific. And he said, well, when you get married, you're going to want to be called Mrs. And I said, I am married. It's Ms. And he called me M-I-Z-Z-Z for the rest of the semester. But he gave me an A.
0: That's good. So how did you go from... Early childhood education into tech?
1: Well, um, I had studied a number of things in college. I studied archaeology in the Holy Land, I studied um, psychiatric social work. When I finally realized I had to get a degree, it was still at the time that if I had to earn a living, girls were still going to be teachers. And I picked early childhood because I was short and I figured I would get swallowed up in a high school and, and little kids are easy. You can pick them up and, and move them around if you have to. but. When I graduated from college, there was uh, financial problems in the United States and they were not hiring teachers. So um, I started uh, doing whatever work I could. I worked for the New York City Parking Violations Bureau, which was my introduction into IT. Um, and, And in addition to working with the guys in data processing, I was asked by my boss, quote, not because you're a woman, but you're low man on the totem pole, you get the word processing study. And that was my introduction to having uh, work with computers. So I think I was more office automation than strict programming. And at that time, you know, I would go to the copier to make a copy and the head of data processing took me aside and said to me, don't do this during office hours if you have to make a copy do it after work because otherwise they're going to assume you're a a secretary we didn't have administrative assistance at the time and and i had other instances where i would be the only woman in a meeting and i would be taking notes and and uh, somebody from uh, from another city agency asked my boss if he was going too fast for his girl and uh, I gave him a lecture on child labor laws, explaining that you really couldn't hire girls to work in city agencies, that I was a woman. I think it was lost on him, but afterwards my boss came over to me and I thought he was gonna ring me out. He said, no, I have to apologize. I should have stuck up for you. And I said to him, no, thank you for letting me stand up for myself. He was married to a very feminist woman so he, he was very sensitive. And there were many men along the way that helped me navigate things to uh, advance in my career.
0: Sure. So computers must have been, you know, a career in tech must have been fairly new at the time. Did it not intimidate you?
1: Um, not at all. I, I had taken some logic courses in college and I just found that working with a system was just a matter of understanding how to talk to them, which is really no different than you know, how you would talk to somebody uh, from another culture or another country, or, or a man for that matter. Um, no, I was not intimidated, I was young, um, I, I, I don't think I knew enough to have any fear. I did deal with so many people that had technophobia, and, and I found that that was a very big hurdle uh with everything I've done in IT over the years, I think one of my hardest jobs was taking IBM electric typewriters away from women that were typing 80 words a minute, giving them an $8,000 word processor and doing nothing but slow them down. But it's a process.
0: Right. So now we've established that you did get into tech. Was that How was getting into tech? Was that easy? Um.
1: When my mother became a teacher, they were so desperate for teachers, she jokingly said, if you had a pulse, they put you in front of a classroom. When I got into tech, it was such an explosion. Uh, We went from everything being manual to trying to automate everything overnight. So there was just, it was ubiquitous. in in my life for people my age I do remember going to my parents house and I couldn't check my voicemail messages because they had a rotary phone and at the time I would need a touch tone I'd had to go to a friend or a neighbor I thought that was a bit funny um And my mother was fine. My father, of course, had technophobia. But I do remember my mother calling me. She was using an application to put in information about her students. And at the time, there were only 30 children in a class. And she probably put in the name, their parents' name, their address, and she lost the information. And she wanted to know how to get it back. And I was dealing with databases that had 10,000 records in it. And explained to her that I would rekey the information rather than spend uh, two weeks trying to recover it. So yeah, there, was a, there was a lot at the time that, that people had to learn. One more funny story my mother went out. I think she and I were going out one night for a manicure. And being an elementary school teacher, she left my father specific instructions on how to use the great. Big brand new microwave. She had prepared his dinner and she just needed him to put it in and follow the steps. And when we came home, we asked him how dinner was, and he said it was ice cold. And my mother asked him to review the steps, and he went through everything of setting it. In those days, nothing was preset, you had to actually tell it what to do. And she told him to leave it for five minutes so he looked at his watch for five minutes and then took it out and he never hit start um so we went he had a real case of technophobia (laughs) that that we love to tease him about
0: yes i i know of some some people that are like that even now so just so you know people understand the the journey that you have been through could you please Elaborate on that one incident where you know, based on your gender, you were denied even being even being in an interview.
1: I, I had a couple of those experiences. Um, I, I was asked to interview with Forbes magazine, and the headhunter said they they read my resume. Of course, I was of interest to them, but they didn't know that Gary was a woman. And when they realized that, they decided I really didn't fit into of their corporate uh, structure. Um, I, I had a woman who was actually in one of the big six accounting firms and she brought me in and said to me uh, after my interviews that she would deny it if I repeated it but off the record, if I had a penis, I would have gotten the job. And this was this was not really an exception at the time. Um, There there was a a point beyond which women, most women couldn't go. And I appreciate your saying that I broke the glass ceiling. I think I might have put a couple of cracks in it, but um, I did that standing on the women who went before me, the ones that went to law school and and went to medical school and just forced their way into executive positions. Uh, I feel I was on their coattails. And as I've said to you, I finally feel that I could retire because I'm confident that the next generation of women coming up are doing the same thing. Uh, I, I've seen you at work and and you're very well respected in the field. And the fact that you're a woman is irrelevant. And that to me is is just a wonderful thing.
0: Thank you so much. Yes. I just wanted to highlight that to kind of understand the progress that we've made. Till now, and we all need to continue to work at it, you know, relentlessly so that our future generations um, don't have to go through anything remotely similar.
1: Well, I think, I think one of the things that I help is calling out inequities. Of, of sitting in a, a meeting, um, I, I worked at Citibank, and I went into a meeting with my best friend who had a hyphenated last name. And when I walked in and looked at all the men in the room, she the first question they asked me is that I had a hyphenated name. And I said, yes, my first and last name are hyphenated. So, um, men were beginning to get used to having us around, but uh you know they, they're still in in the workplace for sexist comments were allowed um It just isn't the way it is now. hopefully it it's just not my experience that things have gotten better, but things have actually gotten better.
0: Yes, certainly. and um you know given everything that is going on around us. At some point during your journey, you realized that you had a certain privilege and you decided to use that to make your voice heard, to elevate the consciousness of the people around you. How did that happen?
1: I I think it happened by growing up in a liberal household, feeling that people were equal, but seeing all around me that people were not treated equally. Uh, People of color were not treated equally. People of of a certain sex were not treated equally. Um, You know, I certainly experienced some sexual harassment along the way. And one of the great things about being old is I don't get sexually harassed anymore. But learning how to deal with it And one of the things I found was, unless something was really nasty, I tried to deal with it with humor. And I do have one funny story where I was at a business conference and we were going up in an elevator and one of my male colleagues said out loud to everybody, do you want to come up to my room? And my answer was yes, but I want to be the woman this time.
0: He never picked on me again. (laughs) So you I've seen seen you do this you consciously talk about it you pull others up with you so tell us about your journey where after you started tech and you grew into your you know supervisory roles and then you were a vice president at some point how did the journey happen and uh, what did you notice in the teams that you were uh, you know leading how were the women on your team, and how were the men, and what did you do?
1: In the in the beginning, um, because I was one of the few people at the start of office automation, I was actually hired. Uh, to do things at a younger age than I think I would have been. Also, I had worked in government, and uh, that gave me a lot more experiences more quickly than I think I would have had in private industry. But um, part of the journey was just constantly trying to validate the fact that, yes, I was a woman, and at the time, you know, I, I was in my 20s, I was pretty cute although I didn't realize it at the time. And and I had to remain professional. I think I'd mentioned to you, we wore suits when we went to work. Uh, we we dressed as close to men as we possibly could, although we had to wear skirts, but we wore uh, a jacket. I never walked into a meeting where I didn't have a jacket, e- even if it was just with colleagues. Um, I worked in one company that had an executive dining room that I was entitled to use and two or three other women and I decided to go have lunch there one day. And the waitresses were like don't you girls want to eat in the cafeteria? And they said, no, we have a reservation. We're having a meeting. And and the guys like just stopped eating. Now the men were all World War II vets. They were all in the Navy together and just the whole dining room stopped. But we kept going back to the point where they finally realized they had to put salads on the menu instead of just steak. I think that we were conscious In retrospect, I don't know if we were as conscious of what we were doing as we actually did, but in in terms of being uh, pulled along and becoming a vice president at, at a large financial institution, I was hired for Citi by one of my friends that I had worked with at a computer company, and years later, when I left Citibank and went to Merrill Lynch... I hired that woman to be a consultant for me, and then when I left Merrill Lynch and moved here, I worked for her as a consultant. So for the past forty years, you know, she she and I have back and forth, uh, always worked for each other. And I think the most important advice I could give anybody on their journey is yes your boyfriend your husband is very important to you but make sure you keep your girlfriends both professionally and also for your sanity
0: sure what would you tell the men um back in the
1: day i would have to tell men that women are people too my husband jokingly says yes but men are people one Uh, He is a feminist, otherwise, of course, I wouldn't have been married to him. But I think men need to understand that just because a woman may have a different approach to an issue, it doesn't mean that hers is better or worse. Likewise, just because men may approach things differently. I used to say that men are very good single task oriented uh, producers where women as a rule were much better as, as uh, multitasking. And I think that's because they were juggling. They were juggling home and school and children and husbands where men for the most part went to work and when they came home from work, you know, they could watch TV and maybe play with the kids. Um, that is a generalization. I certainly see the men I'm working with today much differently. Although they'll make jokes, they know better than to really say anything uh, sexist in my presence, so they'll get a dressing down.
0: Sure, and talking of approaching things differently, I'm reminded of this one incident you shared with me, just so others know about it as well. Could you please tell us about that one holiday party and what (laughs) you made your team do?
1: uh well usually um the guys would take their staff out for a golf outing or they'd go bar hopping i did do a lot of bar hopping we all had expense accounts at the time but um i had a staff that was half male half female and i decided for christmas instead of another party because we had plenty of those i invited them out to my house on long island and i gave them a meal, and then I took them all for a manicure pedicure. And the guys were not happy with it, although they totally enjoyed it. Uh, None of them got uh, polish on their nails, but they totally enjoyed the experience of a manicure and pedicure and sitting around and talking with colleagues. And and it became a big conversation point uh, uh, back in in the uh, financial institution, which was a little staid.
0: I totally, you know, can see you do that today, even today. So <laughs> you had a a booming career, right? And you it took off and you had a, uh, you climbed up to becoming a VP. What made you pack your bags from New York City and move to Las Vegas?
1: Well, I did not have a clear trajectory. I did very well in the 70s then the stock market crashed and I had to start all over again. Uh, I clawed my way back up and then the stock market crashed again and I had to start all over. Uh, but I will say um, th- the main reason that we picked up and moved here is that uh, this is my second marriage and when my right after my husband and I got married, my mother became very ill and I spent a lot of time with her. And then my younger brother passed away. He and his wife were killed in a plane crash, which is really just a life changing moment. Um, so I, I, my major concern and my major focus was my parents. And after my mother passed away and, and my dad, uh, is at home where he wants to be with full-time help he's going to be 92 knock wood um my husband wanted to come here and since we were both out of work in new york we just decided that in our 50s we were old enough to run away from home and it was my conscious effort to put him first i felt i could be happy anywhere I know he wasn't happy where we were, and uh, I, I just felt it was time to just make the change and go for it. But okay. I do—I just want to emphasize that there will be setbacks in your careers, uh, whether that means you don't get a promotion and you stay in a lateral position, or due to the economy, or just anything, uh, you'll lose your job and you may not be able to get back on the ladder in the same spot. Uh, I reclimbed the same steps many times.
0: Thank you. Thank you for sharing those personal uh, stories with us. So uh, you did touch upon setbacks. So, which is very natural over the course of one's journey, if you think about it. So what do you think, um, you know you wish you had known as a younger Getty uh,
1: I wish I had known that there are a lot of setbacks in life. Um, the, the first time I, I lost a job, uh, I was in a company that uh, was growing like crazy. We were adding people. Uh, somebody once asked me why there were so many women in the company, and I said because we 're fifty one percent of the adult population. And we had gone through six or seven rounds of serious layoffs, and when I was finally laid off, which I fully accepted and expected, um, you know, I I didn't quite know how to cope with it and and felt that I had to immediately find another job. So... I might have taken some jobs that I shouldn't have because I was either overqualified for or just didn't have the right feeling about. And I'd like to tell my younger self and tell people that, you know, it's never as good as it seems, it's never as bad as it seems, and trust your instincts. Uh, there were times where I uh, took jobs I shouldn't have, or I stayed in jobs too long when I should have uh, looked and made a jump earlier. But how you he- how you handle the setbacks is very important. And I think if you just say to yourself, "Hey, I'm not the only one that lost a job, or I'm not the only one whose husband left them, or whose boyfriend cheated on them," you just have to realize that you 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 do need to personalize things in your life but try and handle them like this too shall pass
0: thank you and what do you do for yourself that keeps you so energetic and so positive most times
1: um it's very interesting and, and i think it's a choice um i just grew up in a very happy uh home uh i i Felt safe. I knew that I was being nurtured by my parents. Uh, my husband has a very different outlook. I always say his glass, and my glass is, is more than half full. His is empty, dirty, and broken, but uh, we're yin and yang for each other. I appreciate that you think I'm energetic. I am so much more laid back now than I was uh, in my 30s, 40s, and 50s. But what I do for myself is. I mentioned my girlfriends. We met at Citibank in the 1990s. We were in the very first information security organization in the country, and we have remained very tight friends even though we all are scattered over the United States now. Once or twice a year, we make concerted effort to get together and go to a spa no husbands, no children. Uh, that's that's one thing we do to recharge. And the other thing is I've always wanted to be an artist. And um, I do needlepoints since I'm in my 20s. When I first moved here, my neighbor taught me to bead. Uh, I, I know you've seen some of my bracelets and earrings. And I also have started doing mosaics as well. So I have an outlet for all my arts and crafts stuff. That makes me very happy, and um, I, I'm very happy with the job that I have currently uh, where, where I met you. I will say that um, I said to the head of IT when I first met him, and and he's young enough to be my son uh, I, I did say to him that I will not retire until at least 40 percent of IT are women and they started hiring women so I asked him if he wanted me to retire uh, I, I still hope that I, I do have the energy to point out that we still need to make changes. we still need to have more people of different backgrounds uh, working together. and studies have shown that the more diverse a group is or an organization is, the more uh, successful it is.:
0: Absolutely. I, I agree with each of the points that you said you know including doing keep on doing something that makes you happy. find time to do it. And I do have the bracelet that you gave me. Handmade bracelet. I still treasure it. So, would you be willing to uh, mentor any young professionals that may be willing to connect with you?
1: Absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I know that you're going to share some of my information. I uh, I do not have all the answers, but sometimes I can help people work through what some of their options are. Having somebody to bounce things off of is very important. So if any of your listeners feel that they would like to have an additional conversation uh, or or think they need a mentoring situation, yes, please. I I have mentored people. Um, I was very big of having uh, interns when I worked at Citibank and Merrill Lynch and also uh, interns at... um, as Caesars, where we work now as well, I've mentored men as well. And, and I think that's very important is how, how we treat the men in our lives and how we treat our sons will come back to benefit us in the long run.
0: Totally agree with you on that. And uh, thank you so much, Gary. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for taking this time out. And uh, this is the second take uh, just so everyone knows. So thank you for uh, putting your time into this for me.
1: It is an absolute pleasure. And uh, again, if anybody would like to contact me, I'm available. Obviously, I'm a talker, but I also know how to listen. And uh, I I want to thank Save for for coming up with this fabulous idea. I really do appreciate it. And I, I have a number of other people that I'm going to recommend uh, participate in these podcasts.
0: Thank you, Gary. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thank you, Save And, and goodbye to all listeners.
0: That's Gary, my hero. There is so much we all could take away from Gary's journey. But if I had to point one out that is very relevant in the current environment, that would be to stand up for yourself and for others when you see the need for it. In Gary's own words, elevate the consciousness of the people around you about equality. And as you rise, help lift others up with you. So if you're an experienced professional, offer mentorship to juniors around you. If you're a young professional, seek out a mentor. I'm certain it will do you good. If you would like to talk to Gary, or ask for mentorship, you can look her up on LinkedIn or write to sheroesclub at gmail.com. In closing, I'm sure you all have shiros in your lives. Take a moment to acknowledge them today. Tell them that they are your shiro. Remember, it could also be a hero. If you want to go one step further, you could also email me about your shiro with a snippet of why they are a Shiro in your eyes. Send it to shirosclub at gmail.com. That is s-h-e-r-o-s club at gmail.com. I will meet you with another Shiro in my next episode. Until then, take care and stay safe.